Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. Okay, good evening. So we resume towards the end of Parshat Vayetze. We might finish Vayetze this evening. We'll see how we go. And we're up to Perek Lamad Aleph, Pasuk Mem. And we're in the middle of Yaakov's um, venting to Lavan, how good a worker he has been and how what a chutzpah it is of Lavan to accuse him of stealing things. So he continues with what he was saying about how good he's been as a shepherd. In Pasuk Mem, he says, Hayiti vayom, I was by day, achalani charev, the heat. We'll see what achalani means in a moment. The kerach balayla, and, well, we'll see what kerach balayla means, but we think we know it's frost or cold or something. The tidar shenati me'enai, and I vowed sleep from my eyes. In other words, I vowed not to get the benefit of sleep. So Rashi says on the word achalani, it's an expression of, uh, it's, it's like the expression in Devarim, if you look there, you'll see that it refers to a fire that consumes, uh, that puts an end to things. So I think Rashi is telling us that it doesn't mean the heat uh, ate me, but rather the heat consumed me as in put an end to me, not literally, because he's still there to tell the tale, but it's worse than just eating, it's ish achla, it's like a fire that, um, I suppose devours, is perhaps a good translation, because it's eating, but eating to the extent of destruction. And then he says on the word, v'kerach, kamo mashlich karcho, posik in tehillim, kuf mem zayin, posik yud zayin, turek Hashem throws, shalach, karcho, and that's translated there as his frost, or perhaps his snow, or his bits of ice. And the Rashi quotes the Targum to help us understand what this is, and it's quite an interesting word that the Targum has, Targumo Glida, which of course is modern Hebrew for ice cream. But it is not Aramaic for ice cream, it's Aramaic for frost or ice. So Chorev is, um, I think I'll go for, um, uh, sorry, Kerach. I think I'll go for ice as it is in Hebrew. And then Rashi says on the word shanati, lashon shena. It's an expression that means sleep. Now, it's hard really to work out what Rashi's doing with this because uh, what else would you have thought? You could say, you might have thought it's like uh, shana um, as in year. Um, we talk about a keves ben shana, a yet lamb which is within its first year. And the word shanati could have meant that. And maybe that's what Rashi is, is doing when he says it means Shana, even though, by the way, some versions of Rashi spell it Chasa uh, without a Yud, the word Shana, Shunnun He, It makes more sense probably to spell it with a Yud, and that will express more clearly the contrast between the word in the Pasuk, Shanati, without a Yud, um, and what Rashi is saying, it's an expression of Shana with a Yud, meaning sleep. If, uh, if, Rashi, if your text of Rashi doesn't have the word yud, the letter yud, it's not quite so clear what Rashi's doing. It's worth sharing a comment of the Sefer Hazikaron. So the Sefer Hazikaron is one of the Mephoshim of Rashi. And he says on this case, Hanachon be'enai lomar, it is correct in my eyes to say, Shaharav mefaresh tevot lemathilim. 
but the Rav, Rashi, is expounding or explaining words for beginners. Even though it seems that they don't need an explanation or an exposition. Um, I once heard uh, that Rashi is written for five-year-olds. I, I haven't seen that as a source, and it doesn't make sense to me. Maybe there is such a source, but it doesn't make sense to me. But here we have the Sefer Zikaram saying, at least sometimes, Rashi is explaining words for beginners. And he says it in this particular case because it's hard to see why you need Rashi to tell you that shanati means shena means sleep. But maybe Rashi thinks if you're a beginner, you need to be told that. And perhaps we can add to that just in case you might have confused it with the word shana. Okay. Yaakov carries on. Could it be like a... Uh, odd way of like using that word that that's why he's I don't know like what like compared to other ways that it's used but maybe well tidar shenalti I I that's why he's assuming that well I think maybe tidar which he's not talking about it's a funny thing to say I vowed sleep from my eyes in other words I vowed not to get the benefit of sleep um but I think um, I'm sitting here with your father, who is uh, the both of you, and, and you're a native speaker. I'm, I'm the least educated Hebrew in the room, but I think shanati is pretty obviously my sleep. Yeah. So I, I'm stuck with the problem. I'm not quite sure what Rashi's. Well, I think you know. you're right. That there's room. I don't know if you agree with about Chilin, but people, let's say, who are not so fluent, because there are plenty of Israelis who look at it today, and they, and they, would, they would know shanati is a little bit, little bit too sophisticated by the Israelis. They might think it's something with shana. Yeah. I think it's very okay. simple. Okay, all right, that, that helps. Okay, that helps. So, Yaakov carries on in Pasuk Mem Aleph. Zeli Esrim Shana Bevetecha. This is for me 20 years in your house. Avaraticha Arba Esrei Shana Vishte Vanotecha. I worked for you for 14 years for your two daughters. Vesheish Shanim Batsonecha and six years for your flock. That's referring to when he made the deal that any of the spotted or, or speckled sheep will belong to Yaakov. And you swapped my wages 10. Now, Rashid said earlier, monim itself means 10. So aseret monim is 10 lots of 10, which is 100. Rashid said that earlier when uh, Yaakov was explaining to Rachel and Leah how badly he treated, he used exactly this expression. Um, and that's where Rashi said, Aseret Monim makes a hundred altogether. So, but Rashi is commenting on the Tachalefet Maskurati. You swapped my wages. Says Rashi, Hayitak Mashaneh Tanai Shebeneinu. You would change the conditions between us. Now, you remember the deal was that I, Yaakov, will get all the spotted sheep. Let's first of all remove all the spotted sheep from your flock, and then any subsequent ones which are born spotted. I, Yaakov, will get. And then he did the thing with the sticks and the troughs, and, and was it a miracle, or was it him being clever, or was it a bit of both? But he ended up with lots and lots of sheep that fitted that description. But when I say fitted that description, what Rashi's saying here is that the script, the Tanayim, the condition, kept changing. Minokad letalu akudim levrudim. Now, there's different ways of translating these four words. I'll offer minokad from speckled le talu to spotted ume akudim and from streaked le verudim to grizzled i saw they're all varying ways of discoloration in different ways on the flock of the sheep and the goats 
And um, those four words came up with a little bit of interchangeability when we were learning about how the, the deal that Yaakov made and then what happened. So, and then how Laban carried it out. So it makes sense that Yaakov was explaining here that the terms kept changing, which is why earlier in the, in the previous parak actually, um, we had sort of interchangeability of this description of these um, off-color sheep. But what is Rashi saying? Why does Rashi need to say this? Because you could have had a different, different understanding of a tachalef at muskurati. It could be that if you, swap, you swapped my wages, sounds like instead of giving me what we agreed, you gave me something else. Instead of giving me sheep, you gave me money, for instance. Now, that's not the case. That's not the Bashat. That's why Rashi tells us it's not the Bashat. Why not? Well, number one, we know that's not what happened. And number two, if it had been like that, it wouldn't have been so bad. If, if the deal is we'll give you sheep up to a certain value, and then he swaps it and he gives you um, money up to a certain value, that wouldn't be a problem. So what would be a problem is if you change the conditions of the wages. And that's what Rashi says happened. Now, I saw a fascinating comment in the Ber Yitzchak, who says there's a difference between Sahari and Muskorati. Now, in Perik Lamad, Pasuk Lamad Bet, Yaakov said, this will be my Sahar. And now he says, Lavan has swapped my Muskorat. Now, Muskorat comes from the same root, Sin, sin Kafresh. What's the difference between Sahar and Muskorat? So the Ber Yitzchak says, and he, he says this is a general principle, that Sahar is a specific thing, and muskaret is a general thing. In other words, if you ask for schar and you say it should be the spotted sheep, then that is schar. It's a very specific thing. You will get spotted sheep as your payment. But if you ask for muskaret, that can be a more generic. You'll get various types of sheep, and that would explain why Yaakov, when he set up the deal, said, "I want this as my schar," because he was particular. But after Lavan keeps swapping it around, he doesn't end up with schar, very specific. He ends up with something more general, maskaret. Because sometimes he gets speckled sheep, sometimes he gets spotted sheep. Is there any basis for that? I, I don't know. I mean, he didn't give a basis. But he also said, I thought you'd like this, but that explains the difference between ochel and ma'achal, both of which are translated as food. But he says ochel, like schar, is precise. I'm going to eat this apple. Ma'achal is food in general. I'm going to help myself to some food. Yeah. Now, it's hard in English, it's really the same word. Food can refer to what's on my plate, or generically, I'm interested in food production. So he says that achel is particular, ma'achal is general, like schar is particular, maskorat is general. Uh, I don't know if uh, anyone agrees. Yeah. Maybe if you can think of other words which exist in those two forms, you can see yeah. if it works. That was specific and that's for yeah. yeah, it only works with Ochel and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so maybe it works with Skar and Yeah, but... and the starting point is there's a difference because Yaakov initially talks about Skar and now he talks about Maskara. So yeah. if we, we, we should look for a, an explanation. Impostic Membet. Lulei Elokei Avi Elokei Avraham Upachad Yitzchak Hayatli. Lulei, were it not for the fact that Elokei Avi, the God of my father, um, Elokei Abraham, the God of Abraham, Upachad Yitzchak, and the fear of Yitzchak, Hayat Li, was to me, in other words, only because Hashem was with me, 
if it hadn't been for that, that's the rule. If it hadn't been for that, ki ata reikam shilachtani. Now you would send me away empty. Et onyi et yagi'ai kapai, my uh, suffering and my exertion, ra'e elokim, Hashem has seen, v'yochach, we'll leave that to Rashi, uh, he's done something, Amish, last night. So Amish is a great Hebrew word, it's not very often used, it's got a great English translation, yesterday eve, not yesterday, but yesterday eve, love that word, but... Um, it was the last time you ever used it. <laughs> yeah, well, I use it. <laughs> um, it comes in, I think, the seventh chapter of Chilchot um, Teshuvah. The Rambam says how great is the Shuvah, how instantly it transforms you from hated by Hashem to loved by Hashem. And he doesn't say yesterday you were hated and today you're loved. He says, Emesh, last night you were hated and today you're loved. That's how quick the transfer is. So he uses it in that sense. So Yaakov uses it to mean last night. Now, what is significant and Rashi finds significant is he has Elokei Avraham Upachad Yitzchak. Why the difference? And it's also worth noting that when Hashem sends Yaakov off and he gives at the dream, Hashem introduces himself as Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak. And it's also the case that when um, Yaakov davens in, in the following parasha, when he's about to re-meet Esau, he davens to Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak. But here he doesn't say Elokei Yitzchak. He says Pachad Yitzchak. So for all these reasons, the fact that he doesn't say Pachad Yitzchak in the other two examples I just mentioned, and the contrast between Elokei Abraham and Pachad Yitzchak, it cries out, expound me, why does Yaakov say Pachad Yitzchak? The fear of Yitzchak, i.e. the thing which Yitzchak is in awe of, i.e. Hashem. So it's definitely referring to Hashem, but he uses this Lashen Pachad Yitzchak. So Rashi says, U Pachad Yitzchak. He didn't want to say the God of Yitzchak. Because Hashem does not make his, does not unite his name with Tzadikim while they're still alive. And why is that? Well, we can turn to Rashi on Kafchet Yudzayin, um, where Rashi talked about the fact that Hashem did say Elokei Yitzchak. Uh, and the reason Hashem said Elokei Yitzchak was because Yitzchak at that time was old and blind, the Choshuv Kamet, and considered as if he was already dead. And Yat Rashi there, that's at the beginning of Vayetzeh, the dream, said the reason he's considered as if he's dead because he's old and blind is because he hasn't got a Yitzhahara. Um, presumably if he's old and blind, is Yetzirah wanes significantly, wanes significantly. Now, what does that mean? That explains, um, I'm only quoting Rashi from elsewhere, that explains why Hashem doesn't want to unite his name with a tzaddik in the, while they're still alive, because normal tzaddikim, Yitzchak was different, normal tzaddikim, um, they might turn bad. If they've still got a Yetzirah, they might be led astray by that Yetzirah, and then it would be inappropriate or worse for Hashem's name to be associated with them. So we have a general rule that Hashem does not associate his name with a tzaddik while they're still alive. Yitzchak was still alive. That's why Yaakov calls him Pachad Yitzchak. I, Hashem called him Elokei Yitzchak because he was Hoshev Kameh. Isn't that good enough for Yaakov as well? So perhaps you can answer that by saying Yaakov understood 
the whole shir, I've just the whole uh, idea I've just given. But it wasn't kibud av to refer to his own father in the sense of Eloke Yitzchak, because that was saying, that would be acknowledging, oh, dad, you're old and decrepit, that's why I can call you Eloke Yitzchak. That wouldn't be kibud av. So the kibud av is to acknowledge that Yitzchak is still 100% still alive and therefore can't be called Eloke Yitzchak and therefore must be called Pachad Yitzchak. Um, what about the fact that it says Eloke Yeah, I realized that as I was reading it out. And I was wondering if anyone's going to catch me up on that. I don't know. I think Lule Eloke Avi, I'm really stuck on that and I, I haven't got answers in front of me. Eloke Avi, Eloke Avraham, so his father obviously is Yitzchak. Abraham is his grandfather. Um, unless you say, uh, uh, it doesn't really work. Let's say Avi is my father's. Yes, yeah, what I was thinking, like Avatai kind of. Yes, thing, or fatherhood. Like, so he's the god of my fatherhood in general, my dynastic origins. Yeah. And now I'm going to spell it That's out. True. That's Abraham and Pachad Yitzchak. I think it's the best we can do, at least. It is a bit dochek. But it's funny that Rashi clearly makes this big fuss that Lorat Salama Eloke Yitzchak, but it sounds like Eloke Avi. So it must not be Eloke Avi, literally. It must be something different. And I think that's probably the best we can do under the circumstances. Homework for us all to see if we can find a better answer. So continues Rashi to talk about how, well, Hashem can get away with it. What he means is, what he says is this, for Afal Pi, Sha'amar Lo, even though but Hashem said to Yaakov, but say, told me Bereshava, when Yaakov set off in Beersheba, i.e. at the beginning of Vayetze, when he stopped and had the dream, Ani Hashem Eloke Abraham Avicha Eloke Yitzchak. I am Hashem, the God of your father, God of Abraham and the God of Yitzchak. Bishvil Shakohu Enav, because his eyes had dimmed, Baharehu Kamate, and he's as if he's dead, as we said. Rashi doesn't explain why, well, he just says, Yaakov Nityare Loma Eloke, Ba'amar Pacha. Yaakov feared to say Eloke, and he said Pacha. So what Rashi here doesn't spell out is why Yaakov feared in the way that Hashem didn't. So one answer is what I said a moment ago, that Yaakov didn't want to invoke the fact that his father was old and blind. So he acted as if you can't use that uh, to justify saying Eloke Yitzchak. He just said Pacha Yitzchak instead. Are there any other examples of names of Sadiqim being associated with God. Yes. Noah, um, when he wakes from his drunken stupor, he blesses um, Shem. And he says, may Hashbi, uh, Elokei Shem should bless him. Um, Eliezer, when he's off finding a wife for Yitzchak, refers quite a few times to Elokei Abraham, to the God of Abraham. And Abraham was very much alive, and Shem was very much alive when Noah blessed him. So perhaps you have to say, that Eliezer and Noah weren't on the level of Yitzchak, uh, sorry, Yaakov. They didn't quite get the nuance here. They were, they, they learned, in both cases, we're told they learned, they knew some Torah. Noah were told explicitly he learned Torah, but maybe he didn't learn this Rashi. And that's why he didn't know that you're not supposed to call a uh, God, connect Hashem's name with a living Tzaddik. Okay, the last Rashi is the Yochach. Says Rashi, uh, on the last, penultimate word, it's an expression of rebuke who it is. And it's not an expression of clarification. Now, with this, we can perhaps understand better what I did, what we did, I think, last week in Posit Lamad Zion, 
um, which said, uh, Yaakov, I'm reading, Yaakov was cross with Lavan after he had rummaged through all his things, looking for his Trafim, his household gods. And Yaakov says, you've rummaged through everything. What have you found from all the vessels of your house? Put them here in front of your brothers, my brothers and your brothers. And Rashi says there on the word, Hashem will clarify who's right. So Rashi says, you might think it means rebuke. In that case, in Pasuk Lama Zayin, it doesn't mean rebuke. But the same word, virtually, in Pasuk Membet does mean rebuke. And it has to mean rebuke because the meaning of clarify doesn't make any sense in this Pasuk. It has to be a clarification between two people. One, who, one of them turns out to be right and you didn't know. But here, um, there's no two people. Ra'ah Elohim v'yochach emesh. Hashem saw and clarified last night? No, it doesn't make sense. It must be Hashem saw and rebuked. And that's why Rashi tells us that is. Rebuked. Lushan expression of rebuke. Where, where are you in? In Lam Zion? Which, which, in Membet or in Lamad Zion? In Membet. That's not what I've got. I've got Lashon Tochacha below Lashon Chochacha. Yeah. Okay. Lushan. Oh, is it? Oh, I've got Lashon Tochacha. Interesting. No, I've got Tochacha first. You're the first. Well, there you go. Yeah. Lashon Tochacha. Yeah. What have you got? I have Tochacha. Okay. Um, I'm not saying art scroll is always right, but it's probably checked more thoroughly than that one. Mikrokodolo, that's pretty harsh. Okay, it makes more sense to be tochacha below kochacha. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Now I have to say, um, I, I'm normally very strict to say this year is just Rashi. And if people ask me questions, which is outside Rashi, I use that as a cop-out and say, I'm not answering that. Um, but I suppose as the Maggie Shear, I've got the perk to occasionally bring in some other comments. I want to say, I, I have a particular thought, which is not original, that this Pasuk is the most terrifying Pasuk in the whole of Punish. Because Lavan says... I think you that one on something else a few weeks ago. Maybe it was this Pasuk. <laughs> okay. Pasuk Mem Gimon. Payan Lavan. Payome El Yaakov. Lavan answered. So, so let's just set the scene. Lavan, Yaakov wanted to run away. Lavan chased after him and caught up with him. Lavan, one, yeah. Yeah, Lavan accused one. him of stealing the gods. Lavan searched for, um, uh, through the tents and found nothing. Then Yaakov let it rip. 20 years of frustration suddenly came out. You've never appreciated me. You've cheated me and I've worked really hard for you. Now Yaakov has stopped speaking. Lavan speaks, and now he's sort of calmed down, and he's a bit more lovey-dovey, and he's trying to be nice and reconciliatory with Yaakov. Bayan Lavan, Lavan answered, Bayomer, and he said, El Yaakov, to Yaakov, Habanot banatai habanim banai. The daughters are my daughters, in other words, your wives, and the sons, your children, banai, are my sons. Bahatson soni, the flock is my flock. And everything you see belongs to me. 
And to my daughters, what will I do to them today? Or or to their sons, whom they bore. Now, why do I say this is the scariest person in Chumash? Because there's a theme that runs through Yaakov's life. And Rashi alludes to it many times. That Yaakov had a destiny to fulfill, which was to raise the first Jewish family. Abraham discovered God. Yitzchak, as it were, consolidated what Abraham had done. Yaakov's task is to take it to the next level. Um, I, I always mean to count, but I think it's at least four times Rashi says that Yaakov was worried that one of his children would, to use today's words, go off the derech. And it was very important to him that he produce a family, all of whom would follow in his ways and be slightly anachronistic to say, but I'm going to say it uniquely Jewish. What is Lavan trying to do? We say in the Haggadah, Lavan bikesh la'akore takol. Lavan tried to uproot everything. What does that mean? So various answers are given. Um, it doesn't sound like Lavan was trying to kill Yaakov. It doesn't sound like, like Yaakov, Lavan was trying to do a terrible thing to Yaakov. But you can answer it by saying, it's not the only answer. Yaakov, Lavan was trying to uproot everything by getting Yaakov to assimilate. To, and that's why he wants to keep him stuck in Haran year after year after year and never go back to reunite with his own parents. And by the way, never go back to Eretz Israel. Just to live as a diaspora Jew who gradually fades away and joins in the general populace. And if Lavan can't do that to Yaakov, then Lavan want, really, really wants it to happen to Yaakov's children. He wants Yaakov's children not to be uniquely and distinctly Jewish, but just citizens of the world. And look what he says. You think your family is special and different from us? You think they're all Jewish? They're just the same as me. They're part of my family, which certainly isn't Jewish and certainly isn't distinctive. So that's how Yaakov Lavan replies. Okay, back to Rashi. Rashi says on the words, Ma, uh, ma e aser la'ela, ech ta'aler al-libi lahara lahem. How could it be on my heart, literally go up on my heart to do bad to them? Rhetorical question. How could you possibly imagine that I was going to do something bad to them? Now, what's Rashi done and why has Rashi done it? So Rashi has swapped one word. The word ma has become ech. So Rashi says, in order to really read this and understand what it is, it's better not to say ma, but to say ech. Ma sounds like a genuine interrogative. What shall I do to them? Please, Mr. Yaakov, tell me what I should do to my daughters and my sons. Now, that clearly is nonsense. That's not what Lavan is saying. He's not asking Yaakov's advice what he should do. On the contrary, the only way it makes sense is to make it a rhetorical question. What do you think I'm going to do to my children? Of course, I'm not going to harm them in any way. So that's why Rashi replaces with How could it be on my heart to do anything bad to them? So Lavan carries on. Now let's go and make a covenant. Aniva ata, I and you, vahaya la aid beini uveinecha, and it will be as a witness between me and you. 
And Rashi, in one word, or I suppose one four-letter acronym, says on the words for Hayala Ed, HaKadosh Baruch It will be as a witness. What will be as a witness? That's what Rashi is explaining. What's the it? It's a problem with pronouns, by the way, which is, which is a terrible pronoun in biblical exegesis. When you have a pronoun, to whom does it refer? And often it's not clear. And often Rashi has to spell out to whom does a pronoun refer. So in this case, the pronoun is, <coughs> is it, the subject of Vahaya. And he says it's Hashem. Now, what else could it be? So, so the answer, so it means Hashem will be a witness between me and you. What else could it mean? So if you look at the pastor, So the normal understanding of a pronoun is it refers to the last thing that was specified. So what was the last thing that was specified? The Brit. So Rashi's telling you it doesn't mean the Brit. You might have thought it meant the Brit. Now, why does Rashi say it doesn't mean the Brit? First of all, there's a grammatical problem. What's the gender of Brit? Mm, try again. <laughs> Feminine. So it should be Eda. So if it referred to Brit, then would be in the feminine form. That's number one. And number two, a Brit can't be a witness. You need a witness to the fact that you're keeping the terms of the Brit, but the Brit itself can't be a witness. So if Bahayat does not refer to the Brit, then the last likely candidate previously mentioned is Hashem, who was mentioned two Pesukim earlier. Now, in Mem Gimel, Lavan talked about other things, but Hashem was mentioned at the beginning of Mem Bet, albeit by Yaakov, and it's now Lavan talking, but it still works to say that the Vahaya in Mem Dalad refers back to the Elokeah of Elokeah Abraham that was mentioned in Mem Bet, especially because there's nothing else that's been recently mentioned that would make sense to be the witness between me and you. So, Mem Hey, Yaakov took a stone and set it up as a matseva, as a pillar. By the way, when else did Yaakov take a stone? At the well, a big stone. And he used his great koach to take a big stone. And that was at the beginning of the parasha. Actually, at the very beginning, he also took a stone. Well, he took several stones, oh, but the Midrash says it became one stone. They put it around his head and it became one stone. There's a lot of stones in this week's yeah, part in this parasha. Like uh, well, the, the, yeah. These ones, yeah. yes. But as I mean, this isn't Rashi, and this is sort of literary style, but especially it's interesting to connect the beginning of the parasha to the end of the parasha. In both cases, it's a big stone. And, and this stone is going to be quite crucial for the next few verses. So Yaakov took a stone and set it up as a pillar, and then no Rashi on them, hey, Memvab, Bayome Yaakov Yaakov said to his brothers, Liktu Avanim, gather stones, and they gathered stones, and they made a pile of stones, a mound. And they ate there on the mound. What's the problem with the third word of that pasuk? Yes. Where is brothers? Now we know his uh, family set up. He's got one brother. And they're not good. Friends. And they're not good. And the other brother's like on the other side of the border. Um, and they're not best mates. Yeah. So he has got sons. And Rashi says, Le'achav heim banav. 
they are his sons. Sheyahayu lo achim, that were to him brothers. Now, there's a few things to say. Um, we have seen a number of examples. Um, well, I think you have one obvious one, and this is another, where the word ach does not literally mean brother in the sense that we always mean it. What did Abraham say to Lot? Achim anachno. I forget the exact words. We are brothers. Now, Lot was his brother-in-law. He was his nephew, which makes him the son of his brother. So it's pretty close, but it's still not quite the same as brother. It's interesting because we all experience that, but in the Torah and also when we continue to the sons of Jacob, we never saw good relationship between brothers. Ah, that, we don't true. really know that brothers are supposed to respect that's each true. other. So there's, there's a beautiful thought that um, every pair of brothers until one in Sefer Bereshit doesn't end well. Kind of Hevel. Yeah. Every pair, every set of brothers, Kind and Hevel. You can possibly say Cham and Shem and Yaffe. doesn't quite fit so well. Um, Yitzchak and Yishmael, Yaakov and Esau, the brothers and Yosef. Um, there's two possible ways. It depends on how you want to say the vort. There's two possible ways you can say when it stops. One is Menashe and Ephraim. So even though Yaakov puts Ephraim before Menashe, and Menashe is the older, Menashe doesn't seem to object. And then an even clearer example is Moshe and Aaron. Yeah. And Aaron is happy that Moshe has got the best, most important job in the world. Um, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. So, your examples of supposed to yeah, so he, each other. Well, but let's see what he's, happened yet. Yeah. So <laughs> if you take Echav in a more extensive sense, as a brother is somebody who like acts, who acts in a brotherly way. Never saw that. Right. <laughs> now, before we read on with Rashi, I just want to point out that um, in Lamad Zayin, that we had the same problem, but Rashi had nothing to say. If you go back to Lamad Zayim, um, the post that we, we quoted a moment ago, Yaakov is complaining to Lava and Kimashashra, Kol Kelai, Ma Matsata, Mikol Kelei Vetecha, Sim Ko Neged Achai Vachercha. Put them in front of whatever you found, put them in front of my brothers and your brothers. Rashi doesn't have anything to say there because there's another option what brothers could mean. Uh, and there's another example which we'll get to later. Brothers could just mean the assembled group of people, uh, sort of almost like stylistically, you might you know, start a sermon by saying, my brothers and sisters, the, the people assembled. And Rashi doesn't have anything to say on Pasuk Lamed Zion. So it sounds like he's comfortable with it meaning people assembled. But here in Mem um, Vav, that won't work because he's asking the Echav to do something to do physical hard work by collecting stones. So he's not going to ask the passers-by to do that. Whom is he going to ask to do that? His sons. So Rashi says this refers to his sons, who are like, I use the word like, Rashi didn't use the word like, but they were to him brothers. And then Rashi says why. So the next four words are fascinating. Nigashim a love. They draw near to him for trouble and for fighting. You want to know what a brother is? Someone who's got your back. Someone who comes to you in difficult times and when you need to fight. And they certainly do. They're with him in times of trouble, even when they cause the trouble with getting rid of Yosef. And they're with him in the fight. Um, 
we know that Shimon and Levi lead the fight in Shechem because they are the brothers of Dina and she's in trouble and they do the brotherly thing. So Rashi says that we can call these the sons of Yaakov by the word brothers because they do the brotherly thing. They join with him in times of trouble and in times of fighting. Now, um, you might ask, you can always ask this question. If Rashi's explained why it used a strange word, which really means the obvious word, why didn't it use the obvious word? Um, and perhaps the answer is it wants to teach you that in this situation, the relationship of the sons to Yaakov was like brothers as defined by Yaakov, by Rashi just now. You see, what, what's happening, if you look back at Memvav, they're having a meal. They're gathered these stones together and they're having a party. Team Lavan and Team Yaakov, they're having a big schmooze. And you might think, this is great. This is lovely. By the way, before the end of the share, I'll tell you somebody else who, who might think that. Not a Jewish source, but we'll come to that later. Um, so, it's Rashi has to come straight to the point and tell you this is not a time of Simcha. This is not a time of a feast. You know what this is a time of? Because Lavan and Team Lavan are the enemy. They'll always be the enemy. So right now, Yaakov doesn't say to his brothers, his sons rather, come and join the party. He says to them, he calls them Achim, or the Torah calls them Achim, because this is a time of Tzara Umichama. And that's when Brothers need to do the brotherly thing. Sorry, sons need to do the brotherly thing. Okay, Pasuk Ben Zayin. Vayikra lo Lavan Yagar Sahaduta. Lavan called it Yagar Sahaduta. Yaakov Karalo Gal Eid. Aramaic is a language which has a certain level of Kedusha. Certain Tfilot are in Aramaic. Kaddish, which is in a sense one of the you know, most powerful tefillot we have, is in Aramaic. Not to mention your Kompurkan and, uh, and various other things are in Aramaic. Aramaic has a certain special status. There's lots of reasons for that, but one reason is right here, because Aramaic appears in the Chumash. It appears quite extensively in certain parts of Nach, Daniel and Nehemiah, but here it is in the Chumash. Where is it in the Chumash? The words Yagar Sahaduta. And Yaakov calls it Gal Eid. So what does that tell us about Yagar Sahaduta? So it says Rashi, um, Yagar Sahaduta, Targumo Shel Gal Eid. It's the translation of Gal Eid. Gal Eid, well, let's look at the next Rashi as well. Gal Eid, which is written in the Torah as one word. Rashi wants to tell you it's really two words. It's, it's a portmanteau. It's two words stuck together. Gal Eid, which means the mound of witness. And so that's what Yaakov calls it. And Yagar Sahaduta is the Aramaic translation of Gal Eid. In other words, don't think that Lavan and Yaakov are calling it two completely different things. They're calling it exactly the same thing. But in each of them, each of their vernacular, they're telling you what it sounds like. So Lavan, who speaks Aramaic, he is Lavan Ha'arami. He uses the Aramaic words. And Yaakov uses the Hebrew words, and they are the same thing. Now, by the way, the word Targum, yeah, I don't think it's a real point to say could mean translation or could mean Targum Onculus. I'm pretty sure it means Targum Onculus. Targum Onculus, the Targum Onculus of Galeid is Yagar Sahaduta. Interestingly, um, in the next Pasuk, 
you have the word gal again, which Yako, sorry, which which Onkelos translates as uh, dagura, a different word from yagar. Dagura, same root, gimel reish, gimel reish, but in Memchet, Unculus translates Gal as Dagura, and in Memzayin, Unculus translates Gal as Yagar. So it's a bit of a mismatch, but it may be that there's different, well, there is true, there are different dialects of Aramaic, like there are of every language. And Unculus was Israeli, so he's using the Israeli dialect, and he puts in, he uses, he translates. Um, um, Lavon's words using Lavon's own Aramean dialect. So it could be that in Lavon's dialect, Gal was Yagar, but in Unculus's dialect, Gal was Dagura. So when Unculus is just translating for the sake of translating, he uses his own word, Dagura. When he's translating Lavon's words, he uses Yagar because that's the way Lavon would have spoken. Um, further on, to emphasize that you come in different dialects, in Mimhaim, Onkelos is Amalaban de Gura Hadain Sahib, which is the same with the Sadutta, that's with the Sin, with the Samurai, and Sadutta with the Sin. It's the same word. I mean, same word. But there's another, I can tell you straight away, there's another difference. Because Sahadutta is really the translation of Eidut, not of Aid. Sa'adutta means testimony yeah, yeah. rather than witness. It's a witness yeah. Sahid is the same as Arabic Shahid. Yes, yes. But Sahid is, is a witness. Sa'adutta is um, testimony. Yeah, exactly. But the word in Hebrew is aid, which you might think means witness, like a person, like this mound will be yeah. the witness. Yeah. But Onkelos shows you it doesn't mean that. Uh, it means that the mound will be the place or will constitute the testimony, which is a different thing. Okay. Um, this mound, Lavan says, this mound will be a witness between me and you today, and therefore it was called Gal Aid, which we already saw in the previous verse. No Rashi on Memchet. Memchet. And the lookout is what a mitzpah is, same word as Sofair. Asher Omar which he said, Yitzef Hashem, Hashem will look between me and you, because each person is hidden from the other person. So Rashi's got a slightly longer comment than we've had for the last few Rashi's, because he's got a few things to try and sort out. So on the words, says Rashi, this lookout, which is in the mountain of Gilad, which is the same as Galad, as, and, and it's as one word. So this mitzvah is the one in the mountain of Gilad. As we see in Shoftim, Perigidala, Pasuk Kaftet, um, the army of Yiftach past the watchtower of Gilad. And then he says, Why is it called Mitzpah? Because one of them said to his fellow, Hashem will look out between me and you 
if you transgress the covenant. Now, there's a few things to say. There's very two, there's, doing two things here, at least two things. And the first is, he says, this mitzpah, you know, it's the one in Har Gilad, and it's the one that's referred to in Sefer Shoftim. Why? Really, Rashi is explaining one letter. And it's a letter that whenever it occurs, he has to explain it. And the letter is Ha, or the Hey with the Patach. Um, the mitzpah. Why does it have a definite article? Whenever there's a definite article, Rashi will say this is something which is specially identified elsewhere. And that's why Rashi has to say it's identified. Now, normally it's been identified previously. In this case, it's not. It's identified in the future. But in the future, in Sefer Shoftim, you will see people will talk about this mitzvah, this lookout. So therefore, it's already known as the lookout with an, a definitive hey. And then he says, now look carefully what he does to the second part of the Pasuk. Which well, really almost, no, it's the whole Pasuk actually. V'lama nikret shema mitzvah, lefisha amar echad mehem lechaveiru, yatsef Hashem beini uveinecha. Rashi adds those three words, echad mehem lechaveiru. Because without those three words, it's really hard to know what the Pasuk means. Memtet, again, v'hamitzpeh asher amar, the lookout, which he said, Yetzef Hashem beini uveinecha. Hashem will judge between, or watch between me and you. Who is he? Is it the lookout is saying it? Is it, who knows? So Rashi takes out the word Amar, or sorry, leaves in the word Amar, and adds the words, Echad Mechem Lechavera, to show that what Amar is all about. It's one of them will say to the other, Yaakov will say to Lavon, or Lavon will say to Yaakov, that's what Amar is. So Yaakov, Rashi is giving us the subject of Amar. You found something? No. Does yours? Oh, so how does it read? Okay, it's interesting. There is a difference. Um, I don't think it's it's substantial here. But either way, Rashi's added as the subject of Amar, because otherwise we wouldn't know what Amar is. And Rashi's added something else as well. The last three words of Rashi, or four actually, im ta'avor et habrit. If you transgress the covenant. Again, it's perhaps more obvious that that's what the Pasik is referring to, but it's certainly not explicit. Again, the Pasik says, Asher Amar Hashem Stop. Then ki is, is an explanation. But it's not what Hashem is going to look out for. What is Hashem looking out for? So Rashi adds, Im et if you transgress the uh, covenant. Now, by the way, Lavan is about to add some more conditions. He's about to instruct Yaakov of a couple of things he's not allowed to do. And it could be that Rashi is stressing that what we're talking about here, what the mitzvah is and Hashem is looking out, is not about the subsequent conditions that Lavan is about to add on, but is what we said so far about the Brit. Now, what do we do with the last four words of the Pasuk? Ki nisater ishmire ehu. Rashi says there, Below nire ish et re'ehu. Each person will not be seen by the other one. What else could nisater mean? So nisater could mean 
deliberately hidden. Like one of them hides behind a rock waiting to like jump out at the other. That could be Nisater. Rashi says that's not what's going on here because we can know what's going to happen. You know what Yaakov and Laban are about to do? Separate for, forever. Yaakov's going to go back to Israel. Laban's going to go back to where he comes from. They're never going to see each other again. Then nobody's going to be hiding in wait one for another. That's the reality. And it really doesn't make sense that, that, that we're going to, it, it, to say that they have to make this mitzvah, which will Hashem will look who's going to break the covenant because they're hiding from each other. Doesn't mean that. So Rashi tells you what it does mean. Nisater are simply not seen by each other. Not as in actively hiding, waiting to jump out and scare you. Not, it doesn't mean that at all. It simply means the low, nearer, ish, edrei. So it just means that each one will not see each other anymore because they'll be far away. They won't know what the other's doing. So that's why Hashem has to be the witness and Hashem has to look out and see what's going on because they won't see each other, but not that it means because they'll be hiding from each other. Pasuk Nun. So these, I promised you that Lavan introduces more conditions. Im ta'aneh et bonotai. If you afflict my daughters, the im tikach nashim albanotai, and if you take more wives as well as my daughters, ein ish imanu, there's no man with us. I think it means, but ro'er elokim aid beini uveinecha. Hashem will be the witness, will see as a witness between me and you. So Laban says, you're not allowed to afflict my daughters. You're not allowed to take more wives on top of the wives you've already got. So Rashi says a few things. First of all, bonotai, bonotai. It says daughters twice. And it could have managed without. Whenever Rashi says it's, it's like adding extra, what he means is adding extra words. You have to work out how could it have managed without. So he could have said, Im et bonotai, im nashim alehen. Doesn't need to say al bonotai a second time. So why does it say bonotai a second time? So Rashi says, bonotai, bonotai, pa'amim. And then Rashi says something very interesting from the point of view of the story. Af bilha vizilpa bonotav hayu mi pilegesh. Bilha and zilpa were also Lavan's daughters from a pilegesh, from a concubine. So Bilhar and Zilpah, as well as being the servants of Rachel and Leah, were the half-sisters of Rachel and Leah. So this, first of all, it's like interesting. It's not that Yaakov married two sisters. That's like problematic enough. Turns out Yaakov married four sisters. Yes. Number one. Number two, it also impacts on us. You know, we are the children. We are the Jewish people. We're the children of Abraham, Yitzchak, and, and Yaakov. You know whom else we're the children of? Lavan. And it turns out that even Dan Gad Benaftali, no, Gad Asher Dan Benaftali, are also the children of Lavan. Every one of us, every Shevet, is a direct descendant of Lavan. Interesting, huh? But then the side of the family is that we <laughs> Very good. We leave them on the other side of the midst <laughs> That's right. Okay. So Rashi's explained the superfluity of the second bonotai because there were two sets of daughters. And then he says, if you afflict my daughters, what is the affliction? Does it mean if you like beat them? Is Yaakov a wife beater? Says Rashi, what it means is, to 
withhold from them sexual relations. Now it's interesting, um, there's very little commentary on this line of Russia. I think maybe people are a bit like uh, nervous about approaching it, but here is a very clear example of a very positive attitude in the Torah to intimate relations between husband and wife. And if a man does not give his wife what she, her due, which is also mentioned in the Ketubah, which he's obliged to give to her, that's called ta'aneh, that's called affliction. Interestingly, the Gemara learns from this that when it says by Yom Kippur, one of the five inuim, one of the five afflictions, is a restriction on tashmishamita, on sexual relations. Um, it's also interesting, just, just by the way, how many things do we learn from Lavan in relation to what you might call today women's rights? We learn from Lavan that you can't marry a woman without her permission, because he says to Eliezer, we've got to ask Rivka. We learn from Lavan that each wife gets their own set of Sheva brachas. He says, marry this one first and then wait a week, and then you can marry the second one because there'll be a week of Sheva brachas. Lavan is the one who gives the bracha to Rivka that we say to every color under the chuppah. Uh, to he, in, you'll be a mother of 10,000. And here, Lavan is the one who's saying, make sure you give the wives what is their due, even in this area. But now let's get back to Parshanut. What is Rashi, how is Rashi understanding the word ve'im? You see, there's two ways of reading the Pasuk, as Lavan is saying two separate things. Number one, im ta'aneh epenotai, if you afflict my daughters in some unspecified way, ve'im tikach noshim albanotai, and if you take extra wives, now the problem with extra wives is it like reduces the time for each individual wife. It gives her less access to her husband. Mm -hmm. So you could read it as two separate things. And ta'aneh is not specified. What type of affliction is it? But Rashi's not reading it like that. Because why would there be a havamina? Why would there be a reduction in Tashmishamita? That's because he would take another wife. If you take more wives, I don't think you should take more wives. In fact, I object to you taking more wives. Because that means my daughters, your existing wives, will have reduced aspect to intimacy. So now look at the passage. means by means of. If you afflict my daughters, which means reducing their Tashmishamita, uh, and how would you do that? By taking extra wives. Okay, Pasuk Nun Aleph. Lavan said to Yaakov, here is this mound. And here is the pillar, which I, what is Yoriti, between me and between you. Says Rashi, Yoriti, Kamo Yara Vayam. Vayam. The this is uh, comes from the Shira at the Yamsuf, where Hashem is praised as throwing into the sea. Or if you want to be more fancy casting into the sea. So Rashi is explaining the word when, Yaak, when Lavan says Yoriti, I have thrown it. Now what is it? Let's read on a little bit further. Kazer shahu yore yore hachets. Like this one who throws an arrow. Now Rashi is quoting the Midrash here and there's two versions, at least two versions of the Midrash Rabbah on this. Uh, is it the word hachets or hachin, hachanit? sphere. Um, 
And it's also somewhat uh, brief. What does it mean, Now, um, I've seen two different explanations, two completely different explanations of what Rashi's saying. It could be that Lavan is saying, I threw this pillar together and look at me, when in fact, he didn't. Who did all the work? Who set the initial stone? Yaakov. Who collected all the extra stones? Yaakov's sons. And it could be that Lavan is saying, look, I threw, like I throw an arrow, I threw all these stones together and it's rubbish. He's showing off. Or maybe he was involved in the setting up. After all, he can't prove that he wasn't involved. And maybe he's saying, listen, Yaakov, you think you're big and strong. You collect big stones. I'm also big and strong. Don't discount me. And he's acting like somebody who throws an arrow. Might actually be better if it said spear, like throw a spear, which requires more force and more um, expertise. So either Lavan is showing off because of something he hasn't done, or he's showing off because of something um, he has done. And I said, we might try and get to the end of the parasha, but we haven't. And I think that is a place to stop because it's nearly time for Mariv. So I will say, thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Tell us thank the, you. What was the page?